Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of To The Point Podcast. Who is doing well on this Tuesday. Um, I mentioned yesterday what a crazy weekend we had in the world of sports, and I couldn't even get to it all yesterday. Uh, and, you know, I say some for today, and we also got some big news overnight in the baseball world, also in the, uh, in the world of golf regarding Tiger Woods. Um, we also uh, – also college football is just top of mind for me, which I'm going to dive into today. And then, you know, I, I said at the end of yesterday's podcast, I want to talk about Kyle Connor. Well, that even came to fruition more last night where you see the Arizona Coyotes defeat Winnipeg 1-0 because it's Kyle Connor or nothing in Winnipeg right now, and it's a problem. So a lot to dive into today. But I want to talk about college football, but there's also, there's also a big picture conversation here. And over the past three to four days, we've seen two, you know, head coaches, Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly, leave big programs in the grand scheme of things for even bigger programs. Well, you could say that USC is not a big program right now, but if you were a fan of the Carson Palmer days or of Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart, the USC Trojans were once a powerhouse, including this, the 70s, the 80s. These teams dominated college football. Well, Lincoln Riley, who had, had a great run at the University of Oklahoma, five seasons as a head coach, two Heisman Trophy winners, three trips to the, to the uh, college football semifinal. Didn't win a playoff game, but he brought back what Oklahoma used to be. You know, a great program under guys like Bob Stoops and like Barry Switzer, who later became the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. But these were elite programs. But we've seen him leave Oklahoma. We see Brian Kelly, who earlier this season became the all-time winningest coach in the history of Notre Dame. He leaves Notre Dame after... 12 seasons, a dozen years in South Bend to go to Louisiana Louisiana State University in LSU. That one completely shocked me. I knew LSU would be swinging for the fences because they don't, they just don't accept losing down there. In the SEC with Alabama and LSU and Auburn and these really good Georgia, these really good programs, you win or you go. We've seen guys like Jimbo Fisher have to move around, Lane Kiffin, take different jobs. But you need to find ways to win in the Southeastern Conference. But beyond what this means for recruiting and what can LSU do after really two porous seasons, let's look at a couple different things. Number one, Brian Kelly leaves Notre Dame. Notre Dame this season is 11-1. and one. And he is leaving the program this week where Notre Dame still has a chance to make the college football playoff, meaning that Notre Dame would have no head coach going into that semifinal. Now, the thinking is, well, Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator, will be the head coach in that game. And maybe that's an audition of sorts for him. But it was reported today that Brian Kelly is trying to lure Marcus Freeman to come with him to LSU. So who knows? That would be a great ad for LSU because what has Marcus Freeman done at Notre Dame? How about just provide great prospects to go to the NFL on defense? Usa Karamoa last season. Kyle, Kyle Hamilton is going to be a top 10 pick in this year's draft. But so you leave a program 11 and 1. And not only that, but he left Notre Dame and he told, texted his players that he was leaving and then he said he was going to meet with them this morning. The damage is done, Brian Kelly. Okay, you're leaving. And it's reported he, he's making up to $15 million to coach LSU. I'm going to repeat that. $15 million. 
to coach. And I think it's fascinating because Matt Wright's going to join me later in the week. And we'll have an extensive conversation about this because he's a fighting Irish fan. I don't care why he left. I could care less. But you, how, where does this leave Notre Dame? And I'm not talking about down the line when it comes to recruiting. I'm talking about this season. What if they get into the final four? Because something we know about the committee. They, they know it's a TV product. And I don't think it's great. And I think it's really stupid. But they're more likely going to throw a Notre Dame into the final four than a Cincinnati. And Cincinnati's a superior team that defeated Notre Dame. Now, that might sound counterintuitive. Yes, a Cincinnati team that defeated Notre Dame. I still think Notre Dame has an outside chance of leapfrogging them in the standings. Believe me, it makes no sense. Surface level, below surface level, world of reality, the bizarro world. It's, it's, it's just not right. But this happens. Viewership is what the games are on New Year's, New Year's Eve which is stupid, and I hate that it's on New Year's Eve, which was on New Year's Day, because, again, people do stuff New Year's Eve. Not me, but there's also the World Juniors that day. Kind of want to get to a couple games. <sighs> Makes it tough to watch everything. So that's difficult for me personally, selfishly, which is all I care about, because I'm all human beings are selfish. But... Beyond that, should be on should be on New Year's Day, but I can't change them. I w- I could really improve their product, but hey, they know everything. The mothership knows all. Um, but it's a TV product, and Alabama, that's a sexy. It's sexy. It, it sells. Notre Dame, everybody knows Notre Dame. You know the logo. You know heart. You know Michigan. Those three teams are locked. Georgia hasn't lost a game all year. If they beat Alabama this week, they'll be in. But, and does the committee just say, well, okay, Alabama, say Alabama loses this week. They'll have two losses. They're done. So Georgia, lock. Michigan takes care of business against Iowa, lock. And then, okay, well, yeah, we'll put Cincinnati in because we have to. They're undefeated. They, if they defeat Houston this weekend, which won't be an easy game, by the way. But let's say they, they beat them. Okay. Well, the fourth slot, we go Ohio State, eh, two losses. They just got molly whopped against Michigan. Eh, not this year, even though they'd love to, which they still might. Alabama. Well, I mean, that's a two-loss team. They lose to A&M in Georgia. Well, we could maybe sell that, but we'll put that one off to the side. Then they get to Oklahoma State. The committee and the TV partner, the mothership, is not happy about Oak State, okay? They're just not. Oak State does not sell. I'll watch it. Of course. They're college football on TV. I'll, I'll watch the game. Bowl games are meaningless. Guess what? I don't miss one. Because I have a problem. But... Okay, what's the, okay, Oklahoma State. Well, who do they have again? Who's their coach? Oh, yeah, we don't even know. Uh, Spencer Sanders at quarterback. Is Chuba Hubbard still waiting? No. Okay, no. Um, yeah. So, again, not real sexy. Then you get to Notre Dame. Well, Notre Dame's got one loss, like Oak State. Well, we could justify putting them in. Their only loss is to number three, Cincinnati. Wow. Oak State, well, they lost to TCU. Sorry, to Iowa State. Well, that's Iowa State's not even in the top 15. You see how this gets there? This is how it works, these deliberations. And you could see a Notre Dame fighting Irish team being, I don't know how that would work. I could be crazy. I think the players would come out motivated as hell because they don't, they want to show up Brian Kelly. 
He left them high and dry. He left, he came home, made a sandwich, used every bit of the peanut butter, and left the heel of the bread sitting there. Because they still have really good talent. Kyron Williams is going to go to the NFL. So is Kyle Hamilton. Jack Cohn's a competent quarterback who's a transfer from the University of Wisconsin. But your head coach left you. That's right. In college, coaching is so much more important than the NFL. Mike McCarthy's not going to be coaching Thursday night for the Dallas Cowboys. Is anybody shaking in their boots about that? No. In the in reality, it's probably a better thing for the Dallas Cowboys that Mike McCarthy is not coaching. You're not because he has COVID. I don't wish him ill. I'm just saying his decision-making is questionable at the best of times. So, hey, a night without Mike McCarthy back there to call a shitty timeout, I'll take my chances with Dan Quinn. But it, it's crazy that these coaches leave so early. And what would bother me as a player on that team is these coaches are leaving days after their last game of the season. Lincoln Riley told his team he was going to USC this Sunday. They, just for reference, Oklahoma played Oklahoma State at a 7.30 kickoff Saturday evening. That means his family, Lincoln Riley, has been talking to USC officials for weeks because if we know anything, you're not doing anything with the blessing of your wife and kids. And you got to know, okay, is this athletic director a nice guy? Is he a douchebag? And can I work with him on a day-to-day basis? You need to have that, that period. It's done. Because yes, it's about money, but it's not all about money. It's about fit and that too, because you need to know who you're working with. You can go work. You can get a job at Tesla and make all kinds of money. But if you realize your personality and Elon Musk aren't going to mesh, well, you're likely not going to be there a long time. So who gives a shit about the money? You're going to be out in the street. So I, that would bother me. If I'm, and I, you know, it's being talked about because Caleb Williams is a, was a true freshman this year. He, he replaced Spencer Rattler who was the presumptive number one overall pick in the next year's NFL draft before the season. Well, he got replaced by Caleb Williams. And to me, I don't think Caleb Williams, if he does transfer, is going to go to USC. Because why would you? I don't think Lincoln Riley ever had that much faith in him. And if I'm Spencer Rattler, I'm sure as hell not going to USC because I just got benched by that same coach. But it, it would bother me as a player to know my head coach, and he tells us every day, be focused, be locked in, no distractions. And he's, he's all gallivanting with, with the enemy. Yes, Notre Dame's an independent. Yes, Oklahoma plays in the Big 12, and USC plays in the Pac-12. But it's just about, if you want us practicing every day, watching film, then you hold up your end of the bargain too. You're not spending all your free time, even maybe company time, talking to another school about where you're going to live. And here's some details about Lincoln Riley's contract. He's going to be making over $10 million a year. Also, USC purchased his home in Norman so that he doesn't have to sell it. It's just done. They own the property now that they can deal with it. And they're also buying him a half a million dollar home in Southern California. This is how it works. And college sports, it's crazy. And to think that people thought before, well, athletes aren't getting, you know, not getting paid. It's ridiculous that these fantastic athletes who give it their all and get bruised, get battered, and potentially don't have as much in the tank when they get to the NFL don't make it, don't make a cent before this year when it comes to name, image, and likeness. That's a joke. Because to see a coach make $15 million, and Brian Kelly's a good coach, don't get me wrong, but he's never, excuse me, won a national championship. Never. 12 years at Notre Dame, never did. I think he's going to a better location. 
He's going to a better recruiting hub. There's a lot of good players in the South. Keep them home. But that would bother me, knowing these two coaches are preaching to me and then they're not holding up their end of the bargain when it comes to being focused on getting our team to that ultimate finish line where we want to be. I also see another really interesting, compelling, you know, just conversation about salary. And I mentioned Brian Kelly. He's going to become the highest paid coach in sports, I believe, uh, definitely in North America. I don't see a soccer coach making more potentially, but I think me 15 sheets a year, maybe that's Belichick territory, but he's going to be right at the top when it comes to one of the highest paid coaches in just athletics period, which is pretty crazy for, like I just mentioned, a guy who's never won the ultimate prize. Bill Belichick makes a ton of dough, but he's won seven Super Bowls. Sorry, eight Super Bowls, two with the Giants, six with the Patriots. That speaks for itself. So my my big picture thought here is I'm going to tie it to the NHL. Brian Kelly makes more money than the highest paid player in the NHL. Connor McDavid makes $12.5 million. And, you know, it's talked about in hockey – that if you take a whole lot of money, well, you're selfish and you're greedy. And, oh, why would you accept that big deal? You think of some, some major guys in Canadian markets who get hate on for this. Mitch Marner comes to mind. Will Bill Nylander comes to mind. Every contract is put under a microscope. And yes, there is a salary cap, but it's also interesting to look at the economics of the NHL. In 2002... Yarmir Yager was making a, uh, $11 million a season. Highest paid player in the league. It is now almost 2022. So two decades later, and the highest paid salary has only gone up $1.5 million in two decades. That's alarming. You look at the NFL, it's gone up hundreds of millions. Patrick Mahomes' contract, Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys, who is a good quarterback, but again, has won jack shit, like a Connor McDavid, like a Austin Matthews, like a Nathan McKinnon. Insert name here. (laughs) Makes so much more money. It's crazy. He makes 75 million dollars a season 75 but my point here is what's the nhl doing wrong and i've talked about this before on the podcast but it's the nfl and college football compared to hockey on a north american scale on a north american just stage and balancing this out those two sports are daddy And the NHL is a little baby just coming out of the womb. It is night and day how dominant these two sports are compared to the NHL. It's not even close. And I think it's problematic because what what is, first of all, the salary cap has caused people to absolutely lose it on players that, get a large salary and, and yes it is a large salary but 15 million dollars you're coaching college you're not even in the pros if i'm you, you got to think that today when an nfl coach read that that brian kelly was going to make 15 million dollars they had to have grabbed their wallet out of their back pocket a little bit and think Okay, am I in the wrong profession here? If you're Mike Tomlin, you'd be saying, uh, excuse me, $15 million? That, that's what he's making? If you're Matt LaFleur in Green Bay, you're like, um, yeah, okay, I know I have Aaron Rodgers here, but why is he making 
that much more than me? I've been to two NFC championship games. What has this guy done? Get his ass kicked by Alabama and Clemson in college football semifinals? I could do that. And I just think the conversation about hockey is always, well, this player is is selfish. He's taking too much money. It's all about the money. It's not about winning. Well, it's the same can be said about coaches then. Because I, I really don't want to hear it about athletes anymore because it's such a hypocritical thing to say because guess what? If you're in that position, you take the money too. Anybody says, no, I'm a team guy. And I... No, you're not. You're selfish because that's what human beings are. We're selfish people at our core. It wouldn't be kumbaya. Okay, I'll take... And I'll take a quarter of the pie so that the rest of us can have no. And I just think to think about salaries and whoever you're a team, a fan of in any sport, just think about some alternatives. Just think about, wow, Brian Kelly makes $15 million. Wow. Lincoln Riley makes almost $11 million a season. They make more than Nick Saban now. Nick Saban's won seven national championships. The greatest college coach of all time. They make more than him. Imagine what he's thinking today. So I just think it's important to, to just give guys a break because whether you, you're a fan, any team, there's bad contracts everywhere. That one phrase and frenzy day, where Kyle Oposo signed and Milan Lucic and Louis Erickson. And it was just dump, you know, dump contract after dump contract after dump. Franz Nielsen was in there. All those contracts were bad and those players were overpaid. But who gave it to them? General managers. Again, if you're in that position, you're taking the contract. Did your play dip? Sure. But I just. To me, it shows that the NHL is failing on a, on a big level because the NBA salaries are much higher when it comes to average pay. I mean, average bench player makes what Austin Matthews makes a year in the NBA compared to the NHL, and he's one of the best players in the NHL. That just shows you where the two sports are when it comes to paying their athletes. The NFL, I mean, I'm not even going to go there, but what do we see in baseball over the last 48 hours? The Texas Rangers have spent $560 million over the last 24 hours. $560 million. Crazy. But that's the difference. The salary cap in the NHL is 80. A little over $80 million a year. The Texas Rangers spent five hundred. It's, it's honestly crazy, but I think it's when you bitch about contracts of teams that you enjoy rooting for, think about the alternative, think about other, other sports, other leagues and what their coaches, what their athletes are getting paid and you'll feel better about it. If you antiquate, if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, you go, God, I'm irritated about Dak Prescott making this much money. Well, Think about how much Brian Kelly, I'm going to come back to Brian Kelly every time because he makes $15 million and he coaches. It's absolutely crazy, but I do think it's important for other leagues and for fans to be tolerant and think, okay, what if we had a, what if our, blame the commissioner, blame the partners and say, why aren't we doing this? Why isn't the mothership? Why aren't people that invested in hockey? And the U.S. television audience is a big reason why. They don't give a shit about hockey. And it hurts the product. But it also, you know, it hurts when it comes to salary cap, when it comes to, and forever you'll hear, well, if only the Toronto Maple Leafs didn't have a salary cap, if only New York Rangers didn't have a salary cap. Well, maybe try to boost your product. Maybe when you answer a question after a game, don't be so, well, I don't know, like we uh, we played pretty hard tonight and, uh, you know, we, uh, 
How fuck deep and uh yeah like how about give a thoughtful answer how about try to be funny creative you know maybe try it no okay well stick to where you are in life it's, it's going your, your leagues and going up 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 every damn day of the year i mean that's why you have to keep adding teams because you're making no money expansions literally keeping the nhl afloat right now but who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not, but never, nevertheless. Let's pivot to baseball. We're going to get back into Monday Night Football last night. Um, what a game that was. Not a particularly entertaining game, but it did come down to the wire, and it may have some implications on the playoffs. Um, playoffs. Uh, so we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But I mentioned earlier, you know, Major League Baseball is on a time crunch because – they are heading towards a lockout where the players and the league and the owners you know, can't come to terms. They're disagreeing on certain things. So teams and players are trying to get salaries locked up before this lockout. And this normally never happens. It's normally players are signing in January, February, March. And you know big deals are given out. And that's something I've never understood from the player's aspect is you're getting huge money. What's their complaint about? I think if I'm a rookie, if I'm a young guy, I am complaining about service time and how long the the contract is. But if you're a veteran and you're a good player, it's just a fact you're going to be making a lot of money and it's just a matter of time. And I mentioned the Texas Rangers because we've seen a few really desperate teams come out swinging the last couple of days. The New York Mets, we're obviously the top of your conversation Monday with Max Scherzer. You know, they do look strong when they have Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer. You know, one of them is likely going to win the Cy Young next year. But $43.3 million a year for Scherzer, the most in the history of baseball per year. And, again, um, I talked – I just talked about salaries. Uh, Max Scherzer makes $43 million a year. But David makes 12 and a half. Scherzer's not the best player in baseball. So just, just for a reference point for everybody. But you saw the New York Mets, who finished fourth in the NL East last year, swing for the fences. Steve Cohen need to make a splash. The trades for Javi Baez didn't work out. They couldn't get to the playoffs. They're not accepting that again. Another team that's been in the dumps is the Texas Rangers. And I talked about them signing Marcus Simeon to a seven-year, $175 million deal which, you know, is $25 million a year. And it looked like, I mentioned yesterday that, yeah, Simeon, he wants to play short, but I wouldn't be surprised if you saw the Texas Rangers add to that infield with a guy like a Trevor Story. Now, I was wrong that he would be playing second base again this year, but I, I was right in the fact that they were going after another big fish. And they went out and got one, signing Corey Seager, the very talented, the gold glove winning shortstop, to a 10-year, $325 million deal. And crazy money, $32.5 million a year for Corey Seager. And I look at Texas, and on paper, they have the strongest middle infield in baseball because Simeon's very good defensively, and so is Seager when he's healthy. But that's my concern with this contract. Corey Seager has had back problems for a number of years and he's only getting older. And I worry about, can he hold up? I think it's a legitimate conversation. It's not something where I'm criticizing. It's just, is your health good enough for you to be in the lineup day in, day out? And to this point, it just hasn't been consistently. He's away from the team. You saw that they had to go acquire Trey Turner because Corey Seager was, was too banged up to play short. And if he stays healthy, this is a great building block. And I don't, I don't mind the signing at all because you get Simeon and Corey Seager that can play your middle infield. When the Rangers were at their best in the last number of years, obviously they, they had Beltre playing third, who's a gold glover, a future Hall of Famer. We had Elvis Andrews, who could didn't have his, not even close to good about as Seager, but he was very talented defensively. He was a guy that always had a good on base percentage and he was a tough guy. He would, you know, get full counts make it difficult, the starting pitcher. And you had Rugnet Odor uh, playing second base, who is you know most known for punching Jose Bautista in the face. 
But also, you know, Odor was a guy who had a bat. He could swing it out of the ballpark. Simeon hit over 40 bombs last year, but he's better defensively. And he's more, he's a guy that can bat close to 300. So that looks promising. But you see a team spend over, you know, they also got John Gray from the Colorado Rockies. So spend over 560 million. This is a team that's not going to make the playoffs. They're in the American League West. You know, the Houston Astros aren't going away. Yeah, Carlos Correa is likely not going to go back to Houston, but they still have Otuve. They still have Bregman. They re-signed Justin Verlander. They have Jose Arquiti. They have a really strong team. Still, the Oakland Athletics are always in the mix. They're always in the playoff hunt. They just find a way to be relevant in that division. So if I look at that division, I just, I, I look at it and say, well, okay, Texas, you're taking strides. The Angels haven't made any moves yet, which is very disappointing. Um, but also, well, they, they got Mike Trout come back healthy. They got the reigning MVP in Otani. Can Rendon come back healthy? Can he give you a season where he's not banged up every other game? That would be huge for LA. And I, I still think LA would be a better team than the Rangers. So hypothetically, they could be finishing fourth in that division. That for spending all this money and I get it to rebuild and you want to put building blocks in place. That's a lot of spending for, I believe an, a couple years of mediocrity to below average play to then say, well, yeah, we're, we're prepared to be bad now to be good in four to five years. That's a tough pill to swallow, but clearly upper management is ready to do that. So, so kudos to them for, for granting this wish, but I don't think it's the smartest decision because I, to me, Seager's got a lot of question marks. Trevor Simeon, uh, sorry, Marcus Simeon is a guy that is very talented on, on the bases. He uh, he has a good bat, but he had his career season on a contract year, like I mentioned yesterday, like a Robbie Ray, like a Kevin Gosman. Now, some of these guys are going to hit. I realize not everybody is going to be a dud next year. There will be a good signing out there, who, a guy who's making big money. Maybe it's Simeon. Maybe he carries it over. And I wouldn't doubt it because he was a pretty consistent hitter in Oakland his first number of years there. So he goes back to a division he he knows. But again, would I have given these contracts out? No. But kudos to the players for taking them. For Corey Seager, you get a long-term investment. For Marcus Simeon, you get seven years after Oakland declined your, your player option the, the uh, year before. And now you're you're riding high. You're, you're in Texas. You've got all kinds of uh, options here. And um, you know, kudos to those guys for finding a new home. Also Tuesday, another big fish was off the board. And it was leaked. It was r- rumored forever that the Detroit Tigers would be signing, signing Carlos Correa because A.J. Hinch, their now manager, was the manager of the Houston Astros when they won the World Series in 2017 during their cheating scandal. But it doesn't look like it's going to be uh, Carlos Correa going to Detroit. Today they signed Javier Baez, the former World Series champion with the Chicago Cubs in 2016. Huge part of that team. He's signing with um, with Detroit on a six-year deal for $23.3 million a year. And Javi's had his ups and downs. But for a guy like Javi Baez, who's been really consistent over his career, to, to get on this deal, I do think this is a good signing by the Detroit Tigers because I think he can he can turn it around. He's used to playing in cold weather. Obviously, he's going to the AL Central, so he'll be playing against the Chicago White Sox, so that'll be accustomed to him playing in Cleveland. So crappy weather is not you know out of the realm for Javi Baez. And we've seen Detroit take strides by, by getting young players, by adding pitching to the lineup. Well, this is just another step in that development where you get a guy who's won. Miguel Cabrera is a guy who's is a, a leader. He's a winner. But you got a guy who's still in his prime who can show the guys the way, show the youngsters, this is how we do it on a day-to-day basis. We need to be consistent. He had his problems with New York because he had a terrible season last year. No doubt about it. But he's going to start fresh in Detroit. Under A.J. Hinch, a winning manager, regardless of the cheating scandal or not, he has a World Series ring. And again, this intrigue continues because you still have guys like Carlos Correa, guys like Trevor Story, guys like Clayton Kershaw, 
Do they get deals done? Uh, the Dodgers haven't done anything yet. What do, did the Angels make a splash? The San Francisco Giants lost Kevin Gosman. Do they, do they do anything to their lineup to really improve it? Because there's some teams that are, you know, could be very, another good team next year. I'm sure the Dodgers are not totally pleased with the fact that they're not, you know, in, in a position where they're adding pieces. They're just standing pat. They're like, okay, we like our roster. Uh, and, but if we're reading, I'm just reading up on Clayton Kershaw as we speak. He's a free agent, but no rumors of where he's going to go. He's had his injury problems over the last number of years. But, you know, according to all reports, he wants to continue to play baseball. And it wouldn't surprise me to see him, you know, link up with the Dodgers, even if it comes after the lockout, because I think those two sides have such trust with one another. And I'm sure Kershaw will be like a Sidney Crosby a number of years back. I want to prove that he can come back be healthy and be a dominant pitcher again, because, you know, so many guys have surpassed him in the last two, three years, but I still think he has, he has some game left and he'll want to prove that to everybody in the not too distant future. So lots of baseball interest here as we move forward, uh, including, you know, when the lockout starts, now that all starts progressing. Um, The NFL last night was a, crazy game uh, between the Seahawks and Washington football team, not an aesthetically pleasing game, but nonetheless, you saw a block punt return for a touchdown. You saw Antonio Gibson run for over hundred. You saw basically DK Metcalf get taken out of another game. Russell Wilson continued to struggle. And the main point here is that the Washington football team escaped with a 17 to 15 victory at home and improved to five and six. And you hear five and six, and you're thinking, well, that team's out of it. You know, they're they're hanging around. Well, five and six is actually a record that is really quite promising right now because the NFC is the total opposite of the AFC because the NFC right now is a flat-out joke in the National Football League. It is ugly. I'm going to bring it to your attention. In the AFC, currently, there are – Four teams under 500. That would be the Miami Dolphins, who are five and seven. They've won four in a row. The New York Jets, three and eight. The Houston Texans, two and nine. And the Jacksonville Jaguars, two and nine. So four teams in the AFC are under 500. In the NFC, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten of the 16 teams are under 500. 10, sorry, 12 of the teams in the AFC are above 500. It just shows you the discrepancy of the of these conferences where if in the NFC, the Miami Dolphins at five and seven would be a half game out of that final wild card spot. But in the AFC, they're clinging for their lives. They basically need to win out and that's, just, that's the breaks, but it shows you the discrepancy. And last night, Washington escaping with a victory. They improved to five and six, and they are in a four-way tie for the final wild card spot with the Minnesota Vikings, who lost this week to the San Francisco 49ers, who are in the sixth spot at six and five. You have the Atlanta Falcons, who are somehow five and six. Atlanta stinks. They stink. They, but they could still make the playoffs somehow. I don't know. And you also have the New Orleans Saints, who stink. Since being the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they continue to lose players. They don't have a quarterback. They don't have weapons. They have Sean Payton, but they don't have anybody to go around them. Below them at 5-7, and seven, you have the Philadelphia Eagles, who laid an egg this past weekend against the Giants. The Carolina Panthers, who benched Cam Newton after they get trounced in Miami. And you have the New York Giants and Chicago Bears at 4-7. and seven. They're still in it. What if Justin Fields could catch fire and they go on a run and make the playoffs? In this conference, is not all the realm of possibility. Just to show you how bad it's gotten for a team like Seattle, who's a perennial playoff team, they are they have the second worst record in the NFC. They are three and eight, just above Detroit at 0 10 and one. And you know it it is upsetting that a team is going to make the playoffs despite being under 500 to me that's like that's honestly a joke 
That happens a lot in the NFC East because that division used to be just such a joke and it, it remains a joke. You know, all three of the four teams are under 500. So that tells you what it's like in that division. But if I handicap the teams, it was San Francisco is six and five. They are a good football team. They discovered their identity. They know they need to run the ball more than they need to pass. Next week, they go to Seattle. Prior to the season, that looks like a tough game. That should be a win now. Seattle has no confidence. You need to win that game. The Falcons, who I just mentioned, who are terrible, host the Bucs. That's a loss. Uh, Minnesota goes to Detroit. You got to expect a win there. Uh, Giants play the Dolphins. Who knows? Dolphins should win that game, but again, expectations. Eagles go to play the Jets before their bye week. Eagles, you know, will be the favorite. That doesn't mean they're going to win the game. Um, and then you got to, you know, it, it's just, it's a wild Saints play the Cowboys on Thursday night. So it's a wild scene in football right now where Taylor Heineke, who came in for Ryan Fitzpatrick in week after we, in the middle of week one, has been the starting quarterback. He looked terrible at times, but Russell Wilson is did just didn't do enough last night. You look at he puts up 15 points, two touchdowns, but DK Metcalf had one catch for 13 yards in the game. He's your big play guy. Tyra Lockett at three for 96. So he was a big play receiver. That was great. But you know, Gerald Everett led the team in, in catches with, with five. And I just look at this team and say, they have nothing there, nothing of substance. To me, it is becoming more and more of a foregone conclusion that Russell Wilson is not going to be in a Seattle Seahawks uniform next year. He's going to be elsewhere, whether it's in Miami, whether maybe he goes to the Giants, maybe he goes to the Saints, Bears, whomever. It's not going to be in Seattle. But looking at the Washington football team, I like their chances because they have a tough game this week against Vegas. That is a tough game, but they play the Cowboys twice. They always play the Cowboys tough. They are division games, but you know, the Vikings have to play uh, Aaron Rodgers again. So that's no gimme. They have a tough schedule. I mean, the Falcons, I have no confidence in. So I'm not going to bet the saints. I think have just fallen off a cliff. They don't have enough talent. Their defense is on the field far too much. And by the, by the end of the game, there's completely wiped. So eventually the offense is going to score points just out of, you know, just have the defense having no breath left in their body. So I look at it and say, it's, it's going to come down to a wild finish and the seventh seed will, will make it to the playoffs. But if you're the second seed, that would be green Bay right now, potentially Arizona, see how the rest of the season goes. You have to be ecstatic with your position because you're playing great football but your first matchup is a home game against a team that you really have no confidence in. Taylor Heineke's made one playoff start last year, and he balled out against Tampa Bay. But you take your chances with Taylor Heineke. And I don't think there's a threat to the Cowboys per se, but I, you know, I thought the Eagles would make the playoffs. I, you know, last week's loss kills that theory for me. That loss against the Giants kills it for me. You can't lose the New York football Giants. I don't care if it's on the road. Jalen Hurts threw four interceptions. He didn't get the breaks that Cody Fajardo or that Lamar Jackson had and that you throw four interceptions and you still win the game. He threw four interceptions. They lost. Jalen Jalen Rager dropped two touchdowns right in the end zone, right in the hands. But we move forward here. I think Washington's in a good spot. They play the Giants again. down. They play a lot of division games down the stretch. So... Do I think the NFC's? I think it's top heavy. I think the Rams have really come back down to earth. I think the Bucks and the Packers, like I said yesterday, are the two best teams in this division. Sorry, in the conference, they they're by far the best teams in the conference. The Cardinals have the best record in football, but I haven't seen Kyler Murray play in three weeks. They're coming off a bye. They just haven't done it in the playoffs. Cliff Kingsbury has never coached a playoff game in the NFL. Is he thinking about going to Oklahoma? That's rumored. You know, we've seen how that works out for coaches in big games. Well, they returned this week against the Chicago Bears. I do think that's an interesting game because if Kyler returns, he'll do it at Soldier Field in the cold. And it would also be alarming if he doesn't play this week after not playing for three weeks. You get a bye week 
and he's not available. They have to go back to Colt McCoy. If they can get Chase Edmonds back, they got a two-headed monster running back with James Conner. They got good receivers. You do have a chance for sure, but I, I think it would be very tough for a team to beat them. But Saints-Cowboys Thursday um, should be a, a doozy down in Louisiana. I'm sure they're still celebrating Brian Kelly going to LSU. But big game for both teams. I mean, the Cowboys, with another win, gets closer to cementing themselves as, as NFC East champions. But the Saints also, you got to look at it and say, Sean Payton, okay, I'm going to start Taysom Hill. I got to use his strengths, but we're in a position here where we could still make the playoffs. Yes, the NFC is a dump. It's been a dump all year, but one of these teams at the bottom is going to catch fire because it happens every year. You'll win three, four in a row, and you'll make the playoffs with a 500 record. I don't see that the Vikings, the Eagles, the Washington football team, all these teams sticking up down the stretch. Now, it'd be fun to see these teams go down the last week with similar records, but you know, for right now, Washington owns that tiebreaker at five and six. Minnesota's also at five and six. We'll just have to watch, monitor week by week. How does Taylor Heineke play? How does the offense look? And can Washington ultimately make the playoffs for back-to-back years in the same, uh, same type slot that they were just a year ago? Um, the golf world got an interesting update today where Tiger Woods is at his, at his tournament, the Hero World, uh, Hero world Challenge in the Bahamas. And for the first time in over a year, he addressed the media and took questions and talked about you know, a little bit about his crash uh, you know, and how it ultimately almost took his life. He talked about how there was times in the hospital that he worried that his right leg would have to be amputated, that he'd never play golf again, that he spent three weeks in a hospital, but then three whole months in a hospital bed. And now he can move on his own. But, you know, the doctors, the nurses really helped him power through that. And I think the most interesting development of the day is, you know, you heard for weeks, well, you know, Tiger's going to come back and play at the Masters. And boy, would that be fun. You know, first couple weekends in, in April, hopefully the shitty weather is gone by then. People are more excited. People are happier. And you also get to see on the weekend on CBS, Tiger Woods, you know, walking around playing golf, you know, that would be fantastic. No doubt about it. But the way he described it is I wouldn't put a whole bunch of money on the fact that Tiger Woods will be playing Augusta national in 2022. I would go higher with my bet on 2023 because that's a whole other year to rehab, to get better. He mentioned how he's never going to be a full-time golfer again. He can play rounds here and there right now, but it's not at the level where he used to be. So to me, Tiger's going to come back when he thinks he can be truly competitive at the Masters, at certain majors to win them. It's not about just being okay, just being a guy there. You're not a Harry Higgs. You're not a Justin Rose. You're there for blood. You're there to win the jacket, to win the championship. And as good as it would be to see him, I think people can wait another year if you know that Tiger Woods is going to show up at the next decade of Masters tournaments where, you know, he needed the next year to work on his swing, to be truly competitive. And he's not a guy who goes out there and he's a chop. He's a senior tour playing on the main tour here. He's doing it the right way. And we'll see. I am excited. I was excited to hear from Tiger. I do think he didn't get into the uh, accident enough. And I do think this is, I have a big criticism of Tiger Woods and it's that he's never forthcoming about his faults. Um, He was forthcoming about his, you know, adultery because it was proven that he was cheating on his wife. He was not. And even when it happened, he was not very forthcoming about what he was doing with the Perkins diner and everything like that. He was not forthcoming about uh, his drug use when it comes to using, uh, you know, pills like Oxycontin and different things because he needed a high. He wasn't very forthcoming about that. And even when it was proven that he was doing these illegal things, he tried to hide from it. And I think it would behoove him just to be honest and say, you know what, this is my past. I've done this. I don't do it anymore. 
I, I needed it because I've had so many back surgeries and my knees are a mess. And you know what? I just got trapped up in it. And but you know, he, he drives while intoxicated. He does certain things and he doesn't want to talk about that day. And I understand that in, in a sense, but Tiger Woods is smart enough to know that you are a public figure. You're one of the most noticeable people in the world, let alone sports. Just in, in, in general, if you're not a sports fan, you'd notice and say, Holy crap, that's Tiger Woods. And I think it's on you as a person of substance, as a person in a leadership role to own your shit, to not just stand there and give a non-answer or be angry with media that they're asking about the situation because it's a public matter. Anytime you're a celebrity is a public matter, whether it's personal or not, that's just the way it works. You can talk about, oh, I want privacy, but don't be mad when they ask you the question because that's just, that's how this runaround works. Are there stupid questions from the media? You bet your ass. And I will happily point them out when I hear them, as you know. But in this case, I look at Tiger Woods and say, you're at fault. You don't have the right to be mad when they ask you a question about the action. Say, well, look at the report. It's all, no. Because were you intoxicated? Were you using medications? What, what happened that day? Were you drag racing? Why? For 9, 8.30, o'clock in the morning, it's a weird time to get to a wreck going pretty damn quick. So I do think there's, there's questions and he doesn't want to answer them. And again, that's, that's my big criticism saying, why are you doing this? Because it only hurts your image long-term and what you're trying to avoid is actually what you're running into with the way that you've handled these past number of, um, of weeks. But you know what? More power to him. More power to him as, as we move forward. Good to hear from Tiger. I hope we see him at this year's Masters. I hope I'm wrong. But just to see him walking, be at his own event, that's a pretty cool story. Hero, ch Hero Challenge this week. He's in Bermuda. So just to be able to travel to get there is a, is a big, uh, you know, He's, he's going in the right direction. That's what you can say about Tiger Woods, that he's, he's feeling he's going in the right direction. And hopefully, potentially, he plays in that father-son tournament in a couple weeks with his son, Charlie. We saw them do it, you know, a year plus ago. That would be a lot of fun to see you know, the father and son duo get to play golf again and kind of sh showcase Charlie a little bit. Kyle Connor. I mentioned Kyle Connor yesterday at the end of the show. And... Kyle Connor is one of the best players in the NHL. No doubt about it. He's, he's a dominant player. He does things the right way. He can score goals. And just to tell you, Kyle Connor is seventh in points with 24 in 22 games with 14 goals. So he's had a pretty damn good season so far. But he's doing it all for the Winnipeg Jets. He's not, they're not keeping up their end of the bargain you got to look at them and say, what's wrong with the Jets? Mark, Blake Wheeler doesn't have a goal yet. Mark Shifley's really quiet. Andrew Kopp chips in. Their back end's been, been very quiet. And I just look at this team and say, what's up? You need production from people other than Kyle Connor. Nick Ehlers is not having the same impact he did last year. Connor Hellebeck was great last night. He lets in one goal, but they can't score another one. And that's... That's Winnipeg's problem. They can't score. And I look at Mark Shifley. I look at Paul Stastny, Blake Wheeler, veterans on this team. Step up. Adam Lowry. I love you as a third line center, but provide some offense. I wouldn't be surprised if you see Cop and Lowry go back together. That line provided offense with Mason Appleton down the stretch last season. Appleton's in Seattle. He scores his first two last night, but you need to find a spark. And I do think those two playing together, maybe you throw Jansen Harkins on their, on their wing because he is similar to Mason Appleton. Less skill, but nonetheless a guy that, that fits that mold. Try something. Use your points more. Neil Pionk has a good shot from the back end. Use him. Josh Morrissey, come in. Be, but this playback style is not working because you're losing one nothing, 2-1 games. And I just look and say, okay, Kyle Connor has done what he's had to do. He's over a point per game over his first 22. 
That's pretty damn good. But you can't lose to Arizona. You can't lose to Arizona one nothing. I don't care how good the you know little young goalie is. You need to get more than a goal against Arizona. If you're Montreal last night, you got to get more than a goal against Vancouver. Vancouver is on their face. You lose two one to Vancouver. Demko played fantastic. They still got a shot. Jake Allen. You could make the argument was the better goalie last night, but you know you like Garland scoring the second period and it's curtains. But goaltending is pivotal, but you need to find balanced scoring. You'll get a game tonight that I'm excited. This is their second time meeting in the span of five days, but Washington heads to Florida to play the Panthers. Well, you have two great goalies because Ilya Samsonov is 9-0-1. He has not had a regulation loss yet this year. Bobrovsky's got one regulation loss. It came against the Washington Capitals. So, 14-4-3, 14-3-5. Both teams are playing at a supremely high level. What do you have in both teams? You have guys like Sam Bennett. You have John and Huberto. You got uh, Sasha Barkov, Aaron Ekblad in the back end. Guys are producing for these teams. Ovi's got 19 goals. Kuznetsov's in the top five in points. Uh, got, you just see guys producing at a, at a good level for this team. They're without Anthony Mantha. They're without Nick Baxter, without TJ Oshie. Washington still finds ways to be competitive. And you could point a lot of that to Alex Ovechkin. The guy is incredible. He's second in the NHL in points because he's ahead of Connor McDavid. He's got 37 points in 22 games. He's a plus 17 if that means anything to you. Doesn't to me. But again, he's 36 years old and he's just having an incredible start. And what Ovi is doing... He's proving that longevity-wise, he's a much better hockey player than, than Sidney Crosby. When it comes to length of their career, what has Ovi done that Sid can't do? Well, stay healthy, number one. He's never hurt. And again, Sid gets COVID this year. He hasn't been any good. He's not putting up points. He's not, you know, uh, Pittsburgh's been good because of Tristan Jari and a few others, but it's not because of Sidney Crosby per se. But... I just look at this roster and I say, Washington, for them to be doing what they're doing, yes, they still have good players. They still have Ovechkin. And Samsonov's finding his game. But they have a lot of holes as well. And I two really good teams tonight. I'm excited to watch that game. Lightning Blues tonight. That's another game that I'm looking forward to. Brian Elliott will get the start for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Sharks-Devils actually intrigues me. I mentioned I look forward to watching New Jersey this season. Jack Hughes will return to the lineup for, for St. Louis. Hurricane Stars, uh, a sneaky good little game there uh, tonight. Uh, also, uh, Nathan McKinnon was announced that he will return tomorrow and return to the Colorado lineup after missing eight games. He'll dress against the Toronto Maple Leafs. But lots of good sports tonight. You got Suns Warriors in the NBA where the Phoenix Suns have won 16 straight. And that's pretty incredible. But they are, you know, they've won 16 in a row. They are 17 and three. And yet they're second in the Western Conference behind the Golden State Warriors, who are 18 and two. Find Steph Curry, who's likely the MVP right now. That just tells you how that's a must watch tonight because these two teams are playing at the top of their game. They play twice in the next three days. They play Tuesday, tonight in Phoenix. They play Friday in Golden State. Just incredible action there. Also tonight, uh, you know, I, I mentioned all the stuff from the weekend that was fantastic in the world of sports. But what was also just so crazy and so, so much fun to watch was college hoops. I watched uh, Gonzaga against Duke. First of all, what a game. Some great prospects. Chet Holmgren uh, from Duke, just Pavo Franchero. This, this dude should go number one overall. I, I, the game was fantastic. I'm going to start to get into college basketball more because I just think it's so, so great. And you got, you know, two games tonight, Florida State at the Boilermakers, Purdue, number two. You also got Duke playing the Ohio State. Duke is now the number one team in the nation. So lots happening, lots of fun stuff. The sports is just pumping through, which, as you all know, I love. Uh, in just a few minutes, I'll be uh, joined by Seamus Fillmore. We'll be recapping episodes seven and episodes eight of Breaking Bad of season five. So we got that on tap today. 
Tomorrow afternoon, I'll be joined by uh, Rankin Campbell and Cole McDonald as we have our little roundtable discussing what, what to do in Montreal. Who's, who should they hire as general manager? Uh, do they tear it down in Vancouver? Um, amongst other things. And then Thursday, Matt Wright will join me as we talk some football, including Notre Dame, some of the big games in the NFL this weekend, and much more. So get ready for all that. Thank you guys, uh, as always, for the support. Stay healthy, stay happy, enjoy the cold weather, and uh, we'll talk soon.